1: We can't be contained, because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Well,
2: why don't we just start with you introducing yourself? Okay.
3: Well, I'm Bob Petters. I used to be the department head of North Carolina State until I got tired of meetings and retired.
2: What, what type of department head were
3: you? I left everybody alone as much as possible.
2: Bob Petters has taught in the music department at North Carolina State University for almost 50 years. He used to conduct the orchestra there and the concert band. Now he heads up a different kind of music group.
3: It's much different than most orchestras. For one thing, there is no attendance policy. All we ask players to do is let me know if they can't come so we don't put a chair down for them.
2: The orchestra is called The Really Terrible Orchestra of the Triangle. The Triangle being Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill, North Carolina.
3: And the second th- thing that's unique about this orchestra is that they don't have to play all the notes.
2: You just play play what you know? Play what,
3: Play what you can.
2: Now that seems like... For a conductor, probably the most frustrating experience that one can imagine.
3: Not for me anymore.
2: (laughs) (laughs) When the really terrible Orchestra of the Triangle plays concerts, they often sell out. More than 100 people show up for rehearsals each week. I mean, as someone who'd been around, you know, musicians who got all the notes right and Uh were... What was it like those first few rehearsals where you showed up and saw this type of orchestra?
3: I was impressed because, first, of the the faithfulness of the players to the group, and second, they tried as hard as they could. I've always wanted to work with amateurs, music lovers. I'd been to a number of performances where I heard professional orchestras play, just play the notes. Oh, good, I'm still getting paid so I don't have to be expressive. And I wasn't interested in that.
2: He told me he's looking for people who put their heart into making music, even if they can't
3: play all the notes. Because as I, as I tell them, you're using your instrument to play music. You're not just playing the instrument. If you want to play the instrument, you can go out back and you know toot a bit. But they're using the instrument to be expressive with the music. And that's that's the ultimate goal.
2: As their website says, the really terrible orchestra of the Triangle exists to, quote, encourage those who have been prevented from playing music together with others, either through lack of talent or some other factor, to rehearse and perform in an ensemble of similarly afflicted players. The founder of the orchestra was known to say, even folks who can't play should be allowed to make music. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love.
4: I played the oboe in high school and two years of college, gave it up because life, um, and started up again 43 years later.
2: Natalie Fullwider started playing the oboe again when she joined the really terrible orchestra 10 years ago. Back in high school, it was her father who picked out the oboe. He played the clarinet, and he wanted to form a woodwind quintet with his four
4: kids. And the oldest one was destined to play the oboe because it was the more difficult. When when you were told you will play the
2: oboe, were you happy about it, or was it just preordained so there was no reason to, to
4: There was think? no reason to doubt it. I was going to play the oboe, <laughs> and I did. <laughs> what? What
2: brought you 43 years later? I mean, in that time when you would get together with your family, with your siblings, would you sometimes bring out the oboe and play just for fun? Or or did you really
4: take a a complete break? No, it was a complete break. Um, I was raising a family. I had a career. um, My siblings were scattered everywhere. um, So there wasn't really the opportunity. I mean, I might have picked it up once or twice, but that was primarily because my father, at probably, I'd say 70, um, started playing with community groups. And at age 80, something possessed him to start playing the oboe. So he bought an oboe, and when I would visit him occasionally, I'd toot on it. It was horrible. You can't go away for 43 years and expect to come back and be able to play. But over the years, Natalie
2: had some regret about not playing anymore. In 2013, she brought it up on a hike with a friend who told her about the really terrible orchestra.
4: And I figured I could be really terrible. So I looked it up, asked for an audition, got the audition, and then was accepted.
2: Natalie found out she got in from an email.
4: And the first thing I read was, you've been accepted, congratulations. And I was very excited. And the second thing I read is, you'll be principal oboe. And I sat down and was just, I can't do that. At her audition,
2: she played for Sandy Hobgood, the conductor of the group at the time. He thought she could lead the oboe section.
4: And he seemed to see something in me that I hadn't seen. And I lived to exceed expectations so I worked very hard (laughs) and now I really enjoy it I enjoy playing the solos and what are the rehearsals like the rehearsals are hysterical um we make ridiculous mistakes and everybody laughs for example as principal oboe I was I tuned the orchestra um which is a great source of consternation Um, But I'll give an A. And I'd gotten fairly good at giving an A. Um, In one rehearsal, um, the A didn't come out. A squawk came out. And anybody who plays the oboe will understand that. But a squawk came out. And everybody laughed hysterically and thought I had done it on purpose. Because that's the kind of thing someone might do. I had not done it on purpose. (laughs)
2: The Really Terrible Orchestra of the Triangle, also referred to as R-Toot, rehearses every Sunday at a community center in Cary, North Carolina.
3: Sounds like some of your instruments are cold because yes. you're playing
2: flat. We showed up one week at a rehearsal. Producer Susanna Robertson came with me. Susanna brought her flute. She played back in middle school. I brought along my clarinet. I don't really remember how to put it together, but um... (laughs) it's okay, it's okay. I didn't grow up playing in the school orchestra or band, but a few years ago, my father bought me a used clarinet for Christmas. Did I just break it? He thought I might like to learn how to play it. (laughs) I think the reed's broken. I made my way to the clarinet section, and took a seat next to another player. What's your name? Christy. Hi, Christy. I'm Sandy. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you.
4: How long have you been a member?
1: <laughs> this is my first year, but I've I played in different, like, community ensembles and things before, but this is my first year playing with R2. How
5: is it? Fun? It's fun. It's fun. It, it, you know, they don't take things too seriously, you know? Yeah. So it's all good.
2: <laughs> Susanna, found herself a spot in the flute section.
5: I don't really remember, like, the fingering. It's brand new to most people, so...
2: The orchestra was rehearsing a few different pieces the day we were there. Procession of the Nobles by Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov, Hansel and Gretel Overture by Engelbert Humperdinck, God Bless America. The group usually sticks to pieces that are recognizable and relatively simple to play. Both Susanna and I were pretty rusty.
5: It turns out that I can only play two notes of the piece that they're actually playing, so... it's who's better than none.
3: <laughs> Is that good?
5: Oh, my God. I told her I might join. <laughs> Are you
2: saying was that good because you're, be- you're kind of being impressed with yourself?
5: Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised, like, the muscle memory comes back. Because
2: I don't really do it again. Hey, new member. Here you go. We'll be right back. <laughs> keep you're supposed to keep going. is that all you know?
1: We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. In
2: 1970, a group of students at the Portsmouth College of Art in England started an orchestra. It was for anyone who'd never played an instrument before or was learning how to play a brand new instrument— It began as a sort of art project, but they got a lot of attention. Their official name was the Portsmouth Sinfonia, but their tagline was the world's worst orchestra. Their manager once said they had something rare and beautiful. Musician and composer Brian Eno heard about the group and decided to join on the clarinet, a new instrument for him. He later went on to produce albums for the Talking Heads and U2, But before that, he produced albums for this orchestra, of novice players. People loved it. In 1981, their single, Classical Mudley, a recording of the orchestra playing classical music's greatest hits, set to a disco beat, became a top 40 hit in the UK. Ten years later, author Alexander McCall Smith, who wrote the popular series The Number One Ladies' Detective Agency, decided to start an orchestra in his hometown of Edinburgh, Scotland. He plays the bassoon and didn't think he was good enough to play in a regular community orchestra. He decided to form his own group. He said at the time, it won't be a good orchestra. In fact, it will be a really terrible one. It grew to about 65 members, and in 2007, they played a sold-out show in the same concert hall where the Royal Philharmonic performs in London. In 2008, a man named Sandy Hobgood, who had spent 30 years working at IBM before retiring, read an article about Alexander McCall Smith's really terrible orchestra.
5: He really wanted to steal this idea of the really terrible orchestra of Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, and, and he wanted to found an international galactic league of really terrible orchestras. Um, that hasn't happened yet.
2: Douglas Payne was a friend of Sandy's at the time. She's a cellist. And he asked her to become a founding member of his orchestra. I,
5: I know I chuckled. Um, in part because of the name, but in part because it was so Sandy. Sandy it would be right up his alley um, to have sort of a half farcical, half genuinely artistically motivated and and part uh, community orchestra. Um, And I was thrilled to be asked. Um, My aspirations for the cello were never to perform. It was always to teach Um, and really um, be more of a Not out in front, front and center. Like never, never wanted to have my name in lights or anything like that. So, you know, to be asked to join an orchestra, even a really terrible orchestra one, um, you know, it just, I don't know. It just, it felt good to be asked and invited. What did he
2: tell you the idea was when he was kind of pitching the idea? How did he, how did he describe
5: it? He said, um he wanted an orchestra that didn't take itself so seriously, you know, where folks who were, you know, really terrible could come and play um, because we didn't have an orchestra like that in the triangle. It was very serious. You had to be perfect. Um, and he didn't say it, but, you know, what was missing was this sort of growth aspect, this this orchestra where you could come and, like, actually learn something or learn something from your section Versus knowing it already and just you're practicing putting the parts together. And his idea was, "Eh, just show up. What's the worst that could happen? We'll all be terrible together. And in the end, you know, we're not so terrible. So the idea wasn't that you would sound horrible. It's
2: just (laughs) rather that you didn't have to worry about being perfect.
5: That's right. Um, The goal was not to sound terrible But the reality and the acceptance was you might sound terrible. You might actually sound terrible, but there was that safety net of, well, we're the really terrible orchestra of the Triangle. What did you expect?
2: They decided to take out ads in the
5: newspaper looking for players and put up posts on Craigslist. It was a motley crew. Um, We had 40 or 50 players. We didn't have all the instruments we needed, Sandy definitely labeled himself as a really terrible conductor. Um, you know, and we had, you know, everyone from musicians who could read music and legit play to folks who hadn't touched their instrument in 30 years. Um, so really just a lot of different musical walks of life. What was the the criteria? What did you have to
2: be able to do to to get into the orchestra?
5: Um, You had to be able to not play too well. That was the criteria. Sandy would always say, if you're too good, we're not going to let you in, because this is the really terrible orchestra. We, We can't be getting too good. On their website,
2: it says, auditions require an amateur musician to be able to read music and breathe simultaneously. If someone was deemed too good at their instrument, at their audition, they were referred to another community orchestra.
3: We call them, in quotes, auditions.
2: Have you ever come across someone who you can tell is trying to seem worse than they are, just so that they can get a seat?
3: No. Okay. (laughs) No, haven't had that. And it's been... Fairly rare. I mean, maybe once every two years, we'll get someone who I I encourage to find another group to play in.
5: We've had all ages, uh, six years old to octogenarians. Um, We've had different instruments. We've had a didgeridoo, uh, a harpist, a mandolin player, um, I think even a banjo player. The really terrible orchestra of the Triangle decided
2: to start playing concerts. They invited all their family and friends. They had tickets and programs and sold merchandise, like a t-shirt that says, Bach hates the really terrible orchestra.
5: And there were carefully planned diversions, as Sandy would call them, um, earplugs for the audience, um, a program guide with lots of things to do to distract you from the music. And variety of skits from delivering pizza and dancing in the aisles.
0: If anybody has a cell phone or a pager, we'd like to ask you to pull it out of your pocket and turn it
5: back on. <laughs> and Sandy would joke like, "Don't practice too much. We still want to be terrible." Um, but it was, and there was a great crowd. You know, it was just really wonderful to see the community. You know, show up for this really terrible orchestra. In
2: 2009, Sandy Hobgood told their local reporter, It's turned into a kind of crusade, a kind of mission. I think we've tapped into a big need. Sandy Hobgood conducted the really terrible orchestra for eight years. And then, in the summer of 2016, he was riding in a small off-road vehicle that got into an accident while he was on vacation. He died from his injuries
5: at age 71. And I remember getting the email sort of late at night um, and just literally thinking, this has got to be some kind of cruel joke. Like, there's just no way it was so out of the blue. And it came from Bob Petters, um, the assistant conductor who had come on a few seasons prior. And it was complete shock. It just... One of those moments that takes your breath away, you know, just this, you know, friend, colleague, um, just wonderful person who had, you know, started this orchestra and led a very full life was gone. Um, and I remember, you know, just that, I don't know, that that long pause of of sadness and then that realization of like, well, what do we... What do we do with the orchestra?
2: We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises.
5: Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.
2: Sandy Hopgood's obituary said he would be, quote, remembered by many for his love of people and the arts. It went on, He was driven to connect people through music and laughter. And one person commented, He made me laugh many times when I didn't want to. The church where he'd played organ created a memorial scholarship in his name to pay for music lessons for a local student. The members of the orchestra found out about Sandy's death just a few weeks before their ace season was set to begin.
4: I got a text from a friend of mine, um, and I was just devastated. Was there an idea that maybe the orchestra wouldn't
2: go on, that Sandy had been so integral in the creation and the spirit of it that it would be hard to keep it going?
4: Well, I think in the back of my mind it was like, oh, it's going to be different now. And, of course, everything is different uh, from time to time, um, you know, there was a lot of, of sadness, um, but there was also a determination to go on. I think the spirit of the members of the orchestra weren't going to let it die.
2: Bob Petters, who had been the assistant conductor, took over Sandy's role as the main conductor of the orchestra.
5: They started rehearsing again. I mean, you have a grieving orchestra, and you have, um, you know, a known entity assuming a larger role. And, you know, I think Bob was trying to navigate what he wanted artistically, what the orchestra needed, and what the grieving orchestra needed in that time. Um, One of our viola players uh, printed out Sandy's picture and taped it to the conductor's podium for the season. And at the first concert, you know, we
4: made mention, dedicated it to him, and we wore funny socks because Sandy liked funny socks. At that same concert, when it came time
2: to play Handel's Messiah, Bob Petters left the podium. The orchestra played without any conductor at all in Sandy's memory.
4: He really loved music and he loved leading musicians and he called us musicians and he made me see myself as a musician. Um, he would say things like, I remember the first rehearsal. He was trying to get us to be soft some places and loud in other places. And he would say, It's more interesting when you play dynamically. And it was just, I don't know, it was just like a quirk. I'd never heard it referred to like that. Um, but he inspired me with confidence. I think every time we play, it's a legacy that, that he gave us all. Today, the
2: orchestra performs two concerts a year, one around the holidays and one in the spring. Their concerts are still playful. They have an MC who tells jokes, and they sometimes ask the audience to join them on kazoos. Some of the players wear sparkly outfits or funny hats or flower crowns. Some tie ribbons on the end of their bows. They still hand out earplugs. Do you remember a really terrible moment where the whole where everything just started to fall apart?
4: In a performance? hmm Um there've been a couple of scary moments um even the, the last concert, and there were, there were a couple of measures where everybody's eyes went, uh-oh, we're all in the wrong place. But we got it back together, and I'm sure somebody in the audience noticed, but we were so proud that we got it back together, we didn't care. <laughs> I mean, the one thing about Artude is it's made up of people who enjoy what they're doing, are there because it's fun for them. And we try our best. But we don't take ourselves so seriously that if we mess up, it's a disaster. And, and what's the audience like at one of these concerts? The audience is amazing. They come for entertainment. They come to support you. Um, I mean, they're unlike any audience anywhere. And I've played with other groups now because I enjoy playing. So I, I'll play with anybody who asks me to play. Um, but the r audience is a special. Very special.
3: When you think of all the people who would not be able to play their instrument, because most orchestras assume you have to audition and play a single part, and so many of them would never achieve that. They don't have the time. A lot of them don't play their instruments except for at the rehearsal. So it gives them an outlet, lets them continue playing without any kind of pressure or expectation for, you aren't good enough.
2: Practicing an instrument can lower your heart rate and blood pressure. Musicians also have better memories and attention spans. Research has also shown that for older people, there can be psychological benefits to making music in a group, like less loneliness, higher life satisfaction, and lower levels of anxiety and depression. One researcher wrote that making music is, quote, spiritually refreshing.
4: Natalie Fullwider is 73 and retired eight years ago. Well, in addition to giving you something to do, which is very important, and in addition to being a very cognitively active activity, which they say is good for old age, um, it gives me an opportunity to be with people who are not all in their 70s. Uh, Oftentimes, 70-year-olds are kind of relegated to being at the senior center. Um, I have friends who are in high school. I play with people in college. I play with people of all ages. And if you play together, you have a relationship. Has your...
2: You know, picking back up the oboe, this story. Forty-three years later, I pick the oboe back up. Had inspired anyone else you know to to pick something back up that they had left behind?
4: Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, um a couple of years into my Artude experience, Sandy asked me to play at a church. He played the organ in a church, and he asked a couple of us to play for Easter. So I went, and we played, and at the end of the service, a woman came up, and she said, I majored in oboe in college. Uh, And she just kept looking at my oboe, and I said, would you like to hold it? And she picked it up, tears came to her eyes, and I said, you really need to play again. Um, I told her about R2, it's a good way to get back into it. I told her some places that she could go to find a used oboe. And she picked it up. Um, She's still playing. She plays beautifully. It came back to her a lot easier than it came back to me. Uh, And it was just, it was a marvelous moment. Just a marvelous moment. All right. Procession of the Nobles.
3: (laughs) Wait a minute. I know the the problem. Here, let's start with (laughs)
2: most symphony orchestras, there are between 80 and 100 players. Last season, the really terrible orchestra far surpassed
3: that number. I just got an order of music, because with 142 in the orchestra, we need more music. I think we can still fit in the rehearsal room.
2: 142 yeah, people?
3: we've never had that many before.
2: I mean, are you nervous that you're at 142? Are you going to have to start changing your audition process?
3: Well... I mean, is the bar going to get lower
2: for how good you can be?
3: Uh, that's a good question. I haven't thought about that. I, the only thing I've thought about is, I'm going to try to squeeze all these players into six rows like we've had before, and if it doesn't work, we'll have to make seven rows. So then the question is, can we add any more? Or do we start another orchestra?
2: This Is Love is created by Lauren Spore and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, Stop. and Sam Kim.
3: That was very good. Our technical director is
2: Rob Byers. Emma Munger makes this episode. Engineering by Russ Henry. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com, and sign up for our newsletter at thisislovepodcast.com slash newsletter. If you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. If you'd like to listen to This Is Love without any ads and enjoy lots of other perks, we hope you'll sign up for our new membership program. It's called Criminal Plus, named after the other show I host, Criminal. To learn more, go to thisiscriminal.com slash plus. That's thisiscriminal.com slash plus. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network discover more great shows at podcast.boxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love.
1: It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.